LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. Yeah, certainly. I think the biggest one was, um, you know, I, I got brain cancer um, 11 years ago. Yeah. And so, so it was interesting. And honestly, it was both the scariest and, and coolest um, season of my life because I went down and we had built uh, we had built a team and we had built a culture where we didn't miss a beat. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Josh Hunter. What's up, man? You doing good? I'm doing good. Enjoying the state of Texas. Well, I was about to say I'm joined, which is crazy because you're a new Texan, but I'm joined by two Texans. I'm outnumbered here. So the second Texan that is joining is Matt Chandler, who is the lead pastor of teaching at the Ville Church in Dallas, Texas, and the president of Acts 29. He authored... A ton of books, including <laughs> To Live as Christ, Die of Day. I mean, we could just keep going and going. Um, the Explicit Gospel is one of my favorites, though. And another thing about Matt, uh, Matt, I didn't tell you this beforehand, but I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. Okay. And so I watched with jealousy and envy from afar. Didn't you, like, coach with maybe, like, a really famous cowboy at some point? or? No, but I had a really famous cowboy come and give a speech to my team right before okay. the play. Okay, and there's like Tony, Tony something. I forget his last name too. Yeah, can't can't forget his last name either. But yeah, really excited just even with that. Matt, so excited to have you on the conversation podcast today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here with you guys. Now, I've got to make this clarification before my inbox fills up. (laughs) Josh nor I are Texans. We just got here as fast as we could. Yeah. So that, that's what they would say, or they would say something like, um, like I would be Washington by birth, but Texan by the grace of God or something like that. So Texans, uh, I got here as quick as I could. Um, thank you now. It's been 20 years. Thank you for accepting me as one of your own. So, so new jury's still out. Somebody in Austin is going to have to figure that out. That's God, God had predestined this move for us a long time ago, Matt. <laughs> well, that was, that was something I was going to ask. I mean, Josh is just a few weeks in. You, yeah. you came and you had to get you know used to the Texan culture. What are like one to two things that Josh needs to know about living in Texas? Great question. Yeah. So the the first is there is a um, there is a deep and rich pride in the state of Texas. Almost all Texans think we would be a better country by ourselves <laughs> than we are with the rest of the United States. We point to the economy. We would point anyway. We really do believe that, and that's that's actually attached to our lore and our history. Um, so we we have Texas history in the seventh grade. You learn all about the Alamo and San Jacinto. You learn about Six Flags over Texas. You learn about the Republic of Texas. And so the the pride that's in Texas um, is actually built upon its lores and legends uh, in the, the history of Texas. And so uh, a lot of pride, a lot of we've got whatever you need. And so if you want piney woods and forests, head east. Mm-hmm. You want some desert and flatland, head north. If you want, you know, rivers and, and canyons, you can head north or south down to the hill country. There's a hidden hill country out west near the Brazos River. I mean, on and on I could go. Whatever you want, you got. You just better want it hot. Mm, okay, that's good. That's good. You just better want it hot, man. I'm the thing I'm like most excited about though being in being in. Te- I'm from Memphis originally, okay. so 
great barbecue. Yep. But the brisket here is next oh, to mine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've really enjoyed that. But just going to a Dallas Cowboys game, like easily now, I mean, in yeah. non-COVID world anyway, easily because I was so far away and just had to, you know, some of the games would get blacked out on TV. It wouldn't show. But now, man, I'll be that much closer to back. It'll be on multiple channels now, bro. Oh, praise <laughs> the Lord. Praise the Lord. Love it. Well, well, Matt, we're here not to hear about the history of Texas, even though it's fascinating. But we're here to to learn a little bit about your backstory and how God has led you to where you are today. So let's let's just go ahead and hop in here. Can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years to where you are at the village now? Yeah, I, I started like most guys. I, I started in student ministry. Um, and so I was uh, probably shouldn't have been uh, <laughs> a student pastor. Uh, around my hometown, my, my first job in ministry, I was actually funny enough working as a janitor and, oh, wow. uh, at a Christian school and didn't think I was called to ministry, honestly. Um, and they, um, I got to know the, the principal of that school. Um, he was also the pastor of a small local church, ended up having to go to the hospital one day and asked me to give my testimony at, at chapel and the Christian school that met in the building I was a janitor at. So I shared my testimony. I'd only been a Christian about a year and a half, almost two years. And um, from there, I got offered a job as a student pastor at this tiny little church with like five, five girls <laughs> with ministry. And so I remember being in a van, driving to Al Denson. Oh, Al Denson. And one yeah. in the back of a van. And uh, that, that's where I started. <laughs> no way I should have been hired. No, like I didn't, I wasn't even hardly old enough to rent a 15 passenger. I mean, I made it like by months to <laughs> rent a van to get us to this Al Denson concert. And so that's where I started, learned a lot in that space. Uh, there were, um, man, there were rules I didn't understand. There were ways of, you know, anybody who's like, I don't want to play politics. It's like, you should just never be in leadership then. Uh, just because there is an element of, I need to learn this language. I need to win over key people in order to move this ball forward. Well, I learned that there. Um, and so that's how I started uh, from there. I went off to college in West Texas um, and then there uh, was invited to teach Sunday school at Pioneer Drive Baptist Church. And from there, uh, started leading a, an ecumenical Bible study in Abilene. So ventured into the nonprofit world at that moment where I'm leading and building a nonprofit, uh, was traveling and speaking, preaching there. So learned a lot about um, kind of the organizational components of, of ministry in regards to setting up a nonprofit status, the rules necessary to operate like that, setting up a board, creating board meetings. Uh, and I was just asking anyone who could help me and apologizing to the people that I was leading that I was just figuring this out as we went. So there's a lot of failure in that. Um, so I was in the nonprofit world, moved to Dallas uh, to start another nonprofit with Shane and Shane. Uh, and so we had been traveling everywhere together, uh, doing college events and youth events. And so we just had the idea. It was actually Shane Everett's idea. What if we actually just all moved to Dallas start a nonprofit and then just kind of make this a package deal that will show up and we'll pull off your, your college event. And so uh, we started that nonprofit. I was leading that uh, in Dallas. And, and around that time, I grew disenchanted um, with kind of big event ministry. It's not that I didn't think that uh, the Lord worked in it. In fact, all I had was evidence that he did work in it. 
Um, but as I thought about my life and about the call of God on my life, did I want to, in essence, be a kind of mercenary um, who flies in, preaches his best four sermons and flies out? Could I really, um, could I make the kind of disciple that I was hopeful to make? And could I be the kind of disciple that I hope to be in that environment? And that's when I started dreaming about and thinking about planting a church. Hmm. And there, man, this was not... This was not planting churches was not what it was is now. Yeah. Then. Um, and so even trying to find information on it was super difficult. Uh, I, I'd been become a Christian in a Baptist church. My first job as a student pastor was in a Baptist church. My teaching in Sunday school was in a Baptist church. My um, bachelor of arts in biblical education was from a Baptist seminary. So I just looked into what it meant to plant a church and man, the three year sustainability uh, of a Baptist church plant in that time in history was less than three years, which means wow. three years into a church plant, 60 something percent of them didn't exist anymore. Mm. So that package should have come with like a blindfold and a cigarette. I mean, it was a squad. <laughs> and so, man, I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to roll the dice on that. And so um, from there, I mean, I need to shrink this became pastor of the village church, uh, which was Highland village first Baptist church. And there, all of kind of the background from all the way back to that, you know, being a janitor to uh, being in Abilene, not only running a nonprofit, but working as an associate pastor in a church there. I didn't mention that and absorbing from an amazing leader there. And I just spent three years doing whatever he needed. And, and so if that was sermon research, I would do some of that for him. If that was leading college, I would do that. If that was teaching when he was out, I would do that. I became a utility back at that church in Abilene. And really that's where things started to come together. And when I got to the village, um, all of that started to integrate and, and people would praise my leadership, uh, not knowing that I'd spent the last 10 years making other people look good. <laughs> mm. uh, the, the story is crazy. I've got two, two, one thought and a question. The first thought, you mentioned Al Denson. If you guys don't know who Al Denson is, please, he is one of the OGs of worship. No doubt. Um, and funny story, Matt. So I mentioned being with Student Life Camp. I started as a 19-year-old at Student Life Camp, and somebody just randomly on my team that year um, happened to like be a family friend of Al Denson, and we were in Texas, and he invited us out to his ranch. Oh, I know exactly where it is, bro. Yeah, spent the whole day there. We got to fish, swim. He had like 10 four-wheelers. It was incredible. So small story about Al Denson, just that connective tissue is just kind of crazy. Will you be the one, bro? That, I mean, that, yes. that record came out. I mean, I'd been a Christian months and I wore that thing out. That man <laughs> rocked the best Christian mullet in, in eternity, for sure. He might still, he might still be rocking that. <laughs> so good. Second thought, though. So looking back at all those stories, man, and this is the point of the podcast to really explore the unseen stories. I had no clue you were a janitor. But looking back, when in that kind of timeline did you realize, okay, Matt, like I'm a leader. You just had this realization that, wow, people listen to me and they follow me. I've become a leader. Well, what's interesting to note is I think in some ways that those things were present before I became a Christian. Uh, and so, you know, my mom would often say that when you throw 20 boys in the backyard with Matt, Matt's going to figure out what we're doing. And he'll, you know, he'll drive the game. He'll figure out uh, how to, how to make it work. And, and so in some ways I've always naturally, um, and these don't think, these don't necessarily make you a good leader, but I've naturally been a charismatic personality. Uh, I'm, I'm not a timid man. I, I don't tend to like, I've got my besetting struggles, but 
Um, anxiety is not one of those. Fear of man doesn't tend to be one of those most of the time. Um, and those were just good gifts of God, you know, as he knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, and so, but I think, I, I think it was probably at Beltway Park, that church I mentioned in Abilene, where my whole goal for the years I was there is I'm going to do everything I can to serve David McQueen. Mm-hmm. And David needs, I, I'm going to. And so what happened in that season is I was repeatedly put at the edge of my growth. And, and what I mean by that is I was put in, in um, places that were beyond my capacity at that time. And, and I had to work harder than I would have to do now to try to figure out how to do it. And that season, as difficult as it was at times, um, man, it certainly formed and shaped me. And people began to just point out to me the exceptional job I was doing at the various tasks that I was beginning. Because it really was, I was playing utility back at Beltway. I had like nine jobs, not one. So you, you mentioned, of course, you know, moving from that, you're the utility guy to taking over. What was it? It was previously called Highland Village First Baptist Church. Okay. So when you took that over, I mean, not only was it a different name, yeah. it was a totally, probably a totally different church than of course it is today. And the scaling of, of you all growing, you know, you're a utility guy and then all of a sudden you become the lead pastor. Yeah. What was that transition like? And then how did you scale your leadership yeah. as the church was growing? Well, the, I mean, the, the truth of it was that the thing that I had played a lot of different positions. So that helped me know, Hey, I'm really good at this. This is life giving to me. I'm not really good at this. I can do it, but I'll be slow and it won't be good. So that immediately, I mean, I immediately began to try to design a board for like a hiring board. What are we going to need to flourish here? And in fact, I know you guys have had Josh Patterson on the program. Yeah. I met Josh Patterson at a student camp years <laughs> before. And he, he had such a unique skill set uh, that I remember just filing him away in my head. I, I need to remember this guy. And, and so he was one of the first guys I made a run at. Uh, he was an intern at a large church in town. And I was like, I can't pay you squat. But I can't pay you <laughs> Right. And you want a guy that's not driven by money, but he wants a, he wants a shot. Yeah. So my, the way I recruited Patterson was like, come help me build this. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and by the way, I can pay you 12 grand a year. <laughs> come, come help me build it. And that's a true story. Um, and he has, I mean, he's been with me 16 years, 17 years. Still wow. making 12 grand a year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a long time in church years. That's like two centuries. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, I wasn't trying to scale it. Uh, I was just trying to flank my weaknesses and free myself up to do what I thought God had called me to do. Um, and so that's how I was thinking about it from day one. I knew I wanted, I would have been used to Shane and Shane and Crowder and Tomlin. Uh, I knew I wanted excellent worship that was emotive, but rooted in the truth. Yeah. Uh, I knew I needed a, a true exec. I need someone who could think organizationally, think in regards to structure and systems. I can do that. I'm not natural at that. I have to create a lot of space to think that way. Uh, what I want to be doing is studying my Bible and dreaming about where we're going. Yeah. I don't want to try to build the scaffolding for it. I'm not good at it. Um, but, but Josh could do it. He could do it exceptionally well. Gilbert Montez could do it. He could do it exceptionally well. And so I began to try to flank myself. Plus, I'm all gas and very little break. And I needed some breaks around me. Or we were going to do 6,000 things and none of them well. I got an idea an hour. And so, um, so I needed to put a couple of guys that were more break than gas. It's not that they don't have gas. It's just, they're going to want to know some details before we implement something new. And I needed that. So, so started to, 
um, flank my weaknesses, bolster my strengths. And, and that's, that's how I spent honestly the first three years was trying to figure out that. Mm. So, I mean, we know that every, every moment in life, every like current moment is shaping future moments. So looking yeah. back on all the current unseen moments, what would you say was like a really pivotal one that started reshaping your leadership and life? Yeah, certainly. I think the biggest one was, um, you know, I, I got brain cancer, um, 11 years ago. Big yeah. One. yeah. And Big so, one. so it was interesting. And honestly, it was both the scariest and, and coolest, um, season of my life because I went down and we had built, uh, we had built a team and we had built a culture where we didn't miss a beat. And, and so when I, the, I mean, my heart coming to the village was, I didn't want to make it my church. I didn't want to build it in such a way where I was the only one that could do it. I was the only one that could lead it. People are only going to listen to me. Now there's certainly always people like, why didn't Matt tell us that? Why did this person tell us that? But I'm not, we want to build in such a way that we say our value is that this is Jesus's church. And one day Matt won't be here anymore. And that's just fine. And, and so when I went down, um, we didn't miss a beat. I mean, guys rose to the occasion. They lead, led. We're in the middle of all sorts of transitions and we didn't miss a beat. And, and so that was a huge moment for me that even coming off of that, we reorged even further to give ourselves three lead pastors rather than one lead pastor. So, so right now, I'm, there are three of us, which I wouldn't recommend this model to anybody else. Uh, I, we're built this way because I've got 15 years in the trench with Josh mm -hmm. Patterson and knew him before that. Yeah. Um, and then I've got, gosh, 16, 17 years uh, with Brian Miller in the trench and he like a father figure. So we have an unreal amount of trust in one another and, and are happy to defer if someone feels really passionately. In fact, we've been wired that way now for 10 years. And I can only think of two instances where we had to talk it out. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned, I mean, of course, as you said, brain cancer is pr probably the biggest pivotal moment in your life. Do you mind me asking how old you were when that happened? Well, it was 11. I was 35. Okay. 30. So still a young leader at that time. Yeah. And there's young leaders listening. And I'm sure even at 34, 35 in your head, you're thinking, I've got 35 more years, 40 more years. But I mean, when you have brain cancer, you're wrestling with, I, I don't know how long I have, like probably yeah. at that first diagnosis and ongoing, you're wrestling with that. What did, I mean, what did leadership, what did just life look like? What perspective did that give you? Cause I, I think oftentimes we think of, I mean, I think of the, the verse, like life is fleeting. Like our, our life is a vapor and we hear that at a young age and we say, yeah, but I've got years to come. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, for you, you lived it where that was definitely a reality. So can you just share some wisdom and advice to young leaders? Yeah. I, you know, I think there's a lot of ways that we, we assume that we have a 30 year run, 40 year run, 50 year run. And, and honestly, most of us do, um, but not all of us do. And so I, I think the, the awakening I had um, that was that, man, when all said and done, it had better be grace and it had better be his grace alone. And, and it really did shed off, uh, in some ways, I think some needed, um, pruning about kind of performance based drive. And, uh, and so I think the thing that happened to me is you, you really begin to learn, Oh, you know, what's most important. What's most important is, am I in this to please the Lord? And, and where I'm confused about whether or not that actually is my motive. 
thank God for his grace. And everybody can answer the question like that right now. Uh, but I think if anybody spent some time in solitude and really tried to figure out what their motives were, they, they might see actually their, their motives are probably mixed, more mixed than they think they are. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I mean, I hear young bucks all the time. But like, I don't care. What I'm, I'm just to say the truth. And the more a guy talks like that, the more I think he actually deeply cares. Mm-hmm. And so that's like another game. It's another layer of camouflage. It's self-protection uh, to have that kind of bravado. And I'm speaking of that as someone who wore that jacket. <laughs> yeah. So, so you do care and what people say about you does matter. And gosh, I'm 46 and secure in the Lord. And it still matters to me. It will ruin my day or make my day amazing. But let's just not, let's just not hide behind the bravado. I don't care what anybody says. I'm just preaching the truth. (laughs) Not true. Apostle Paul. (laughs) Thanks for the, thanks for the transparency there. And um, just, just opening up about that. Let's move to when you were first getting started. I'm sure there were just a few mistakes along the way. Oh, what yeah. would you say was your biggest mistake? And maybe how did that set you up for success down the road? Yeah. So maybe this would be, um, when, when I think about being in my twenties and thirties, like a question I get asked often is, um, if you could go back and tell 27, 28 year old Matt Chan or something, yeah. what would you tell him? Well, here, here's just the honest truth. Wouldn't matter. Cause he wouldn't listen to anything I had to say. <laughs> and, and that's the, there's a component to leadership where a guy, unless God is like unbelievably gracious, he's going to have to get to the point where it's just not working anymore. And then he'll be able to hear, and then he or she uh, will be able to do the hard work necessary to become a more integrated leader. And, and so when you're young and everything's popping and everything's working, like you are completely unaware uh, of what's driving you, of what, why this satisfies you and why this bothers you. And, and so it takes you getting to that place where, you know, if you're growing by a thousand a year, right. And you're just like, this is incredible. This is amazing. You're going to have to get to that place where you grew a thousand a year and it just didn't work anymore. And I meant work by, I feel satisfied. I feel known by the Lord. I feel safe in his arms. I feel beloved of him. Right. So th- there's a way in which leaders, almost all of us, we have this similar backstory right? Where uh, maybe the home we grew up in wasn't amazing. And, and we, we've kind of got thrown in the deep end when we were young and we figured out we're the, we're one that didn't die. And, and so now we've probably detached our head and our heart and we're running forward with our head and we've got all this success and people are like, this guy's an incredible leader. And, and underneath the surface, when you're young, you, you can't feel that something's wrong yet. Mm. So you keep driving, you keep doing, you keep building, you keep and they'll come this day where it just doesn't work anymore. Uh, and that's why, you know, one of the things we did in Acts 29, almost immediately when I became president, is I don't want to plant a 23-year-old right now. Uh, give me a 30-year-old uh, who spent the last seven, eight years of his life serving somebody else's ministry. And let's plant that guy for the next 30 years rather than planting the 23-year-old and having to do triage when he kills himself, his church, and everybody around him at 31. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just such a believer that, that you, you can't really know what's going on for a while. And, and so I'm not saying don't lead. Uh, I'm not saying don't, you know, be ambitious because I'm a man. I think we should have gospel ambition uh, beyond what many of us do. And that's a whole nother topic. Right. <laughs> but, um, but man, it, you need to be aware as a young leader that there's going to come a day where you've got this hitch we're like, it's just not working anymore. And that's not going to be tied to money. It's not going to be tied to sex. It's not going to be tied to numbers. There's going to be something in you that's no longer satisfied 
with the winds of earthly leadership. And, and that in a real way is the Holy Spirit calling you to deeper union with Jesus to satisfy that drive that you've been satisfying without you even knowing it in your 20s and early 30s by accomplishment. Mm, that is good. So a scenario for you, say a young person, 22, 23 years old, she walks up to you. Uh, he walks up to you. Matt, I heard everything you said on the podcast. I don't want to be that person sure. that is is not being teached. I don't want to be that. I want to like let everybody else pay my stupid tax for me. <laughs> how, how do I, how do I do that practically? Like how do I avoid being that person that has to get to their 30 years old and yeah. learn, all through the, through, learn the hard way? I want to avoid yeah. that. What would you tell them? Well, well, I mean, I've got something to say to her or him, but, but I also think that, that we need to be okay with this journey. Mm. We need to be, cause like I didn't flame out. Uh, I didn't cheat on my wife. I didn't steal money. I didn't punch somebody in the face, right? I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't verbally or emotionally abusive to anybody. It, it was more internal, um, like a dark night of the soul, like a desert season. And so maybe we all have to go through that, but if there is a way uh, to avoid it, I, I would think that you're going to have to pay real deep attention to your compulsions and what's driving those compulsions. All right. Mm -hmm. So what I would mean by that is, is if your, your day can be made or ruined by how many people showed up Sunday, I'd pay attention to that. Mm. Right? If um, the, the, the first thing you do in the morning and the last thing you do at night is you need to see what people are saying about you, whether or not they, they're where your podcast numbers are, where you're, if you, if you're fragile, maybe that's the best word. If you feel some fragility in you, I'm just saying you need to pay attention to that. Yeah. What is that on a darker side? If you've got compulsions towards pornography, there's something going on there, right? There's something on your law, like, like pornography is a, I, I, I want to be desired and loved and someone to, to take me and allow me to, right? I mean, it's a, that's what's behind so much pornography. It's anger and it's mm -hmm. a longing to be loved like we are. And that's a safe place for men and women to go right now. Uh, now. It, it's going to, on, on the back side of things, it's going to be guilt and shame that drives you deeper into loneliness. But, but the compulsion is, I want to be loved. I want somebody to desire me. I want, so you need to pay attention to that. Um, I think insomnia is something you need to pay attention to. Uh, I think the life of your mind is something you need to pay attention to. Like what's going on in me is a question that most leaders don't pay attention to. Why in that meeting did that guy make me so angry? Why did that bother me? Right? Why, why did I take that personally? That wasn't personal. Th those are the kind of things that I think you can ask in your 20s that'll start getting you insight in, into what's going on in the deeper spaces of your soul. Mm, that's really wise. We've said this verse several times on here. Um, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud. Yeah. He gives grace to the humble, right? And so if you are a young leader and you're asking that question, I just asked to Matt, I think in and of itself, not a bad question to ask, but look at what what is propelling that question? Look at the heart yeah. and that will really help guide some of the, the core motivations there. Matt, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting a lead? Knowing all the books you've read now, yeah. <laughs> right? Like looking back, man, I wish someone would handed this one to me. Like a, a true leadership book. Anything. Oh, Not any, any book Bible. that you wish. Not the Bible. Well, you took my book from me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think the one that's, it's a non-Christian book. So I'm anxious about, Anyway, listen, let me just, I think a book that probably impacted me as a leader um, uh, overall, so, so everything into account, is a book called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less 
Um, and so he's not a Christian, but he certainly can, you know, he, he writes from a spiritual vantage point, mm-hmm. but not a believer. And there were so many nuggets in that book that actually helped me line my life more up with, uh, I think the presence of, uh, the spirit, the presence of Jesus in a day in day out rhythm, everything from kind of create, don't do cascading meetings, create space between you. So you can, um, you know, wrestle with what just happened and prepare for what's coming to the next one. So I can be fully present with people. So things like that, that book in particular left a mark and I've just recommended it to everybody. I know that's not a a Piper book or, or something like that. That's a great one. That's a good one. I think that book on a leadership front, it was incredible. No, I, that book, it, it very much is focusing on what is essential. I mean, if, if, if you're listening, you haven't read it, go pick it up. Sure. And Matt, I know we had you on uh, the five leadership questions podcast. It may have been a year, a year and a half ago. And I remember you mentioned uh, a rule of life and, oh, yeah. and kind of working through that. And you were, and you, you mentioned a lot of the, scheduling meetings, how you're kind of going about your day. And if you're not careful, your day will, you know, end up running you instead of you running it. So you said that about a year and a half ago. Yeah. And you know, what is, what is the the last year and a half look like? Has that helped? Have you seen that change the way that you kind of structure your day? Incredible. Like I've woven it into almost any opportunity I get to speak to leaders. I talk about two things. Um, uh, One, I'll talk about an ideal week. uh, And two, I'll talk about a rule of life. And what's funny is, um, you know, my, my assistant's just over here, um, sitting on the couch, but the, um, man, I just tweaked my ideal week and sent her a new ideal week, uh, last like two weeks ago. It's just my way of going, how do I maximize, uh, the, the time that I have and simultaneously stay as aware of the presence of Jesus as I can in any given moment. And, and so that that's been unbelievably helpful. I think it's rooted me a little bit more. Um, I think I've been more productive in the last year than maybe I've been, uh, ever before and, and probably more, uh, more present than, than I've been before. And so I think both of those are super important. Um, I heard a friend, a friend of mine say, I'm not sure where he got it. It might not be, um, his, um, but John Tyson in New York would say without repetition, there is no formation. Um, and, and so, so without kind of the repetition of this is what time I get up, this is what I do when I get up. This is what I do between meetings. Here's how I'm going to, those are, those are super important in regards to formation. So when you do your ideal week, are you saying you, here's the exact schedule. I hope when I wake up, I want to do this. Can you, can you kind of go a little bit more in depth with that? I'm I'm creating blocks. And so what I would say is, um, uh, I'm like, let me do Monday. It's funny. I can just pull it up. I think I wrote it out over here. Um, so now the, the important thing about the ideal week is I rarely actually get to live in the ideal week, yeah. but it is what we're fighting for. It is what we're looking at. It is so like, um, I'll, I'll just do Monday. I wake up at five 30 on Monday morning. Uh, I work out from seven to eight, um, I, from eight to nine. Uh, I'm, I do breakfast, get ready for the day. Nine to noon is sermon prep for me on Monday. All right. So nine to noon, I'm in sermon prep. Uh, I have a, um, meeting with Andrea over lunch and then one thirty to five or six that night is sermon prep. Now that that's new. That has not historically been on Monday. That's historically been on Thursday. Mm-hmm. The reason I need that Monday is in our COVID reality. Uh, our people need like my team needs everything by Wednesday at noon. Yep. So historically I could get it all done Thursday and it'd be fine, but now I've got to get it done, you know, a full day earlier. 
And so I've had to shift. That would normally be when I worked on school. So that would be Monday. The rule of life's not embedded in this. This is just ideal week. Yeah. Then Tuesday, uh, wake up at 5.30 and then 7 to 8, I'm, I'm going to do a prayer walk. I'm going to do uh, probably about a three-mile walk around my neighborhood, about my part of town, have my dogs with me. And then I'm just praying, man. I'm just asking for insight into what's going on in our community. I'm asking God to bless houses. I'm asking for a breakout of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then then that's Tuesday's a meeting day for me, right? So this is, everybody's going to have a junk drawer day where like, dang it, I can't do anything with these. They're not ideal, but I got to do them. So yeah. I've got lead pastor meeting from eight to 10, exec meeting from 10 to 12, staff meeting from one to two, and then service planning meeting from 3.15 to, 3:15 to four. Then from four to six, it, it's open. Now you might be going like, when's he answering emails and tasks? And all that? Well, that's great, because that's Wednesday. And then um, I'll do school tasks, projects, writings, um, and and anything else that that needs to take place is Wednesday becomes kind of a junk door. Uh, And then Thursday for me right now, I'm finishing my master's. um, And so Thursday becomes basically a school day. Yeah. Friday, Sabbath. Bam. That kind of stuff is so fascinating to me. I think there's a lot to learn there. And if you're listening and you've, you've never, looked at your calendar and maybe you've never even done blocks take what matt was just saying there and, and maybe just write out your own ideal ideal week um and, and make sure you're getting in priorities and if, if you want to learn about the rule of life we talked a lot about it with pete scazzaro and we had him on he lays it out really well yeah. and also you can pick up his book emotionally healthy leader just a lot of great resources on that so definitely check it out well matt let's go back to uh once again to when you're just starting to lead what was your biggest misconception about what leadership would be? Oh man, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I probably thought, I probably thought that people would just do what I said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I was, I was young, but certainly accomplished. Yeah. And so I had been speaking to thousands of people all over the world in large gatherings. And then I'm at this church with 168 people. And so there certainly was a part of me that was arrogant enough to be like, Hey, I know what I'm doing. You guys just need to do what I say. And um, so anyway, again, I said something about this earlier, but there is a game we play uh, of winning over people that that might be key opponents and learning how to take an idea from our head to inception without destroying people along the way. And, And I think I needed to grow in the subtle art of doing that as a young man. Well, let's move to the quick hitter questions here. And these are going to be short one minute answers. And we were going to ask you what your ideal daily routine is, but we already walked through Monday through Friday. So we already got that one. So Josh, you're going to kick this one off. Matt, I'm always really excited to ask uh, someone this question. I'm really curious what your answer is going to be. But one, do you like personality tests? And like, what would your favorite personality test be? (laughs) Yeah, let me say it this way. I think personality tests have a use. Um, we use your unique design at the mm-hmm. village. Uh, and then, you know, the Enneagram is everywhere right now. And so that one's been a lot of fun, uh, just to piddle with. And, uh, it, like I said, it's everywhere right now. People are defining themselves. Like, well, you know, I'm a three with the two wings, so I like to help, but I can be over aggressive. And, uh, and so I, I think the Enneagram is the most fun. Uh, I love your unique design in regards to, I think it's really helpful. Not that the Enneagram is not helpful. So your unique design and then Enneagram's fun. What would your, what what are the results of those for you? Okay. So I am a, in the, your unique design, I am a harmonizing persister. 
uh, which means I'm always stressed out. I want everybody to get along. I know it's not going to happen. So let's just get it done. I'm sorry. And then on uh, Enneagram, I am an eight with a seven wing. Eight, seven wing. Welcome to the club, man. Type eights. Here we hey, go. Strong. We're not jerks. We're just depraved and sinful. That's the like, like all the numbers, <laughs> like all the numbers. Yeah, like, I'm like, come on, we're all right now feeling terrible about themselves. But number four, it's all of us. It's yeah. not- <laughs> That's good. I'm excited about this one. What's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Gosh, an unusual. Ha- I don't know what would be an unusual habit. We'll let you define it, man. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. I have a. Hey, Andrew, what would be an unusual habit? That helps my leadership. Is crowdsourcing answers here? I love it. Um, that's a question. She doesn't know either. I don't think I'm all that unusual. Maybe maybe that's it. She says I can read things really quickly and remember all of them. But I don't, is that unusual? I think that's unusual. Like I would say, most people don't read things and remember them very well. Like, well, there's my unusual superpower. That's how I read a book and I remember like two big ideas, and that's about it for me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can hold that for quite a while for some reason. I'm not there gonna, you go. There yeah. you go. What is your favorite app on your phone? Mm. So right now, uh, there's an app called the One Minute Pause. Um, John Eldridge, tied to John Eldridge's new book. Um, yep. and, and it has just been amazing. And so I've wore that thing out. Dude, it's, it's awesome. Um, I'll do it on my walks all the yep. time. Um, we had John Eldridge on the podcast and it was mine and Chandler's probably like one of our favorite ones that we've done. Not be. He, oh, was, he was like probably looking into your soul. Before. I, I was asking interview questions and all of a sudden I was in a counseling session and I didn't even know what happened. I think vulnerable and talking about my shame issues on my podcast. I don't know what happened. So like I will use that, you know, speaking of rule of life, the pause app yeah. is a beautiful transition app. So like when I'm done here, mm. I need to transition to what next? Maybe I'll hop on and do a three minute pause uh, or a five minute pause or, you know, and just that's such a useful, useful tool in, in a rule of life where you're trying to go, okay, how do I transition from this moment to the next? Well, restore my union with you, right? Mm. Um, you know, I give everything and everyone to you, Lord. So, so that's such a great prayer and a great app to add to your rule of life as something you do between two meetings or between two tasks, or just when you feel like, man, I've left and I'm just, I'm back to hero, Matt, you know, getting everything done, grinding. No, no, no. Let me, I, I want to go with you. I don't want to go without you. Let me, so that's such a great tool. So that's been my favorite app lately. Love it. So you mentioned when you read, you can retain most everything that you read. What has been the best book that you've read in the past six months? Oh, past six months. I, let me do this. My favorite. I won't answer best, but I'll say okay. My favorite book um, on the topic of leadership has been Robert Iger's Ride of a Lifetime. It's hmm. on my want to read. Is it, I mean, is, is it that good? It's so good. It, it's yeah. the narrative, uh, the humanization. I don't give anything away. The humanization of Steve Jobs that he does that I hmm. loved that book. Um, like it was, it was a fun book to read. It was energizing, yeah. informative. Uh, I, I saw some things as he talked about organization and that I thought, huh, I want to file that away because we might have that issue with our exec team right now. Let me think about it a little bit. And, um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I've been telling everybody to read it. So it's blowing up right now. I've been interested. Have you heard of masterclass? Yeah, I know he's got a masterclass. Yeah. I've been interested in doing the masterclass that he did. Um, is in a, a, what's the guy's name? The art of negotiation. 
um, oh, what is his name? Yeah, Chris Voss. Chris Voss. Okay. Yeah, he's got one too, but I'm to check that out. Okay, last question, Matt. Right. Uh, what is what is one the one sentence advice you would give a leader going into a leadership position for the very first time? Um, well, I think we've already talked about it, but I think few things go as far as humility um, when you're leading people. The ability to listen, the ability to um, care about um, what they care about so that as you're making changes that, that maybe really need to be made, you won't run them over to get that done. You won't see them as enemies, but actually people that you need to win over. And so I think a, a lowliness of spirit while maintaining the ferocity necessary um, to lead, especially in this climate, um, is imperative. So I think you develop humility by spending a lot of time with Jesus, making sure you've got people in your life that don't see you as the big, awesome leader, uh, but knew you b before you were any of that. And then whether or not you'll actually listen to them or not, I think is a good indicator of, of whether you're actually walking in that humility. Mm. Well, Matt, thank you for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope it's been helpful to you in your leadership. If it has, head on over to Instagram, give us a follow, uh, shoot us a message, shoot us a DM, let us know what you enjoy about the podcast, and we'll see you next week. Peace.